0: episode two hundred and ninety nine all of these things are, are stuff that in the industry service advisors constantly have to go back and ask technicians about so we build those as options in our inspection when the technicians going through and writing up you know it's at two millimeters on the front left it's got five lugs it's got single piston calipers all that information's there the advisor never has to go back and question
1: Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers throughout North America, to episode 299 with shop owner Christopher Peterson. Glad you've chosen Remarkable Results Radio podcast for yet another interesting service professional's startup story. Now, this episode with Christopher Peterson is brought to you by Federal Mogul Motor Parts, and they are the reason you enjoy these great aftermarket interviews. When you need innovation and quality, you need Federal Mogul Motor Parts. Brands like Moog, Felpro, Wagner Brake, Anco, Champion, Seal Power, FP Diesel, and more. They're the parts techs trust. Find out more at fmmotorparts.com and thank you for the support of these brands. Hey, by the way, your emails are the fuel for the engine of educational value of Remarkable Results Radio. I love to hear from you on how the interviews and academies are making a difference. So don't hesitate to sit at the keyboard and send me an email on just how the content library is helping you. Carm at RemarkableResults.biz. Welcome new Facebook friends of the podcast, Joel Sidow, Tom Merton, Colonia Repair, Glenn Glover, Rick Eddy, and Stephen Arzat, and my newest LinkedIn connections, Alan Sobel, Bruce Weiss, and Carl Borsani. Hey, thanks for every social connection you've made to the podcast. I have a convenient page with every social link at RemarkableResults.biz/social. Now, meet Christopher Peterson from Northwest Automotive in Kalispell, Montana. Please find the talking points and an in-depth bio on Christopher at RemarkableResults.biz E299. Now, here's another interview done in Santa Barbara, California in January 2017. We were at the Autovitals Digital Shop Conference when we got a chance to sit down for this interview. I also saw Christopher's love of digital when he presented on a panel on the digital shop. You're going to love this story. Chris has done a lot in the last few years as a business owner. How about this? He buys a business, then he buys the property then he buys the building across the street, guts it, cleans it out, and designs a state-of-the-art facility. Oh yeah, his plate was full for about two and a half years, but he's well on his way to reaching a mountain of success. He's got his focus on people first and strong processes that work for the team that ultimately makes for loyal and satisfied customers. Now here's the closeout of the 200th decade of episodes. It's episode 299. Now meet Christopher Peterson. Hey, warm welcome to Christopher Peterson from Northwest Automotive in Kalis- Kalispell 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 I got it right Montana All I think about Montana is snow and cold
0: That's about right
1: Wow. Okay. So, no different than what what I'm going through in Buffalo. So, Christopher and I are in Santa Barbara, California. I yeah, think. quite a bit different from what we're used to. I know, honestly. And, uh, you know, when I saw the big orange ball in the sky, I, I was looking at them and says, hi, Mr. Friend. I'm right? hoping
0: to suck up all my vitamin D for the next six months <laughs> this weekend.
1: Yeah, at lunch today, we actually ate in the courtyard and it was really nice absorbing up that heat. We're at an uh, auto vitals digital shop uh, seminar a a couple of days. Uh, While it was really intriguing this morning, I saw you up answering a ton of questions on a panel. And uh, I learned an awful lot. But you just told me you
0: built a new building? Yeah, our shop had been in the same location for about 21 years. And it was a really old building. And we had the opportunity to purchase a building directly across the street last year and. Seemed like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We didn't have to move clear across town, so we jumped on it and gutted it down to the steel structure and rebuilt her from the ground up. And you designed it just like you would a shop of the future. Yeah, we uh, we we had done everything. Uh, we drafted it all up in house uh, ahead of time. Uh, had everything laid out exactly how the lifts would set. So when it came time to actually put uh, nails to board, everything was was blueprinted out.
1: Did you ask the techs look over these blueprints with me? What oh, do you, you think? bet.
0: Yeah. In fact, we um, we went over there. We had we had techs. You know, after hours, we'd come in. We'd bring cars. We tried different measurements. How do we want bay layouts? Um, this, that, and the other thing. How close to walls do we want to be? Where do we end? anticipate putting benches and toolboxes, so on and so forth that I wanted it to be a comfortable area for them because obviously they're the producers. So the more comfortable they are, the more production we get out of them. The biggest project you've ever done? Yes, by far. Um, and way sooner than I was expecting to do it. Uh, I had ambitions of a new shop or a second location, maybe five, 10 years down the road, Um, I've owned Northwest automotive for about two and a half years now, so it definitely wasn't anticipated this early. That's aggressive. It is, um... It just, that's just the way the cards fell. Everything lined out. It was, like I said, it was a great opportunity. And if we didn't jump on it, it was going to pass us by. So, so did you see a for sale sign up there or did you know the guy? We, it was actually a fleet account that we had that owned it. Um And they knew that we were originally, we were interested in the parking lot next door to it. We needed the, ex, the extended parking. Um, and I'd been hounding them for the parking lot and they, they said they were unwilling to sell that. And then they said, well, we're willing to sell the building, which had some parking with it. And at first I thought, well, I don't really need another building. You know, we already had 6,000 square foot building. Um, but then I got thinking about it. And I said, you know, we're, we're pretty much maxed out in the building we're in now. If I bought that building, remodeled that the way I want it, we could move into that at 7,500 square feet to be nice and modern. Worst case scenario. Maybe we remodel the old building and modernize that and we just have both buildings across the street, same company and just, you know, split our workflow between the two different shops. So that's that's the tentative plan for the old building. The only thing that's still located in there is our alignment lift and my office. But everything else, all operations have been moved to the new building. It's running smooth, you're happy,
1: it it, it, it helped increase workflow cart count customer. oh yeah yeah
0: there's a definite uh, measurable difference we've been in the building since um september and we designed the layout with the lobby uh the parts room equipment room all of that we designed that with our digital shop workflow in mind Certain things like trying to keep service advisors out of the the shop and technicians out of the lobby. We designed it so it made it more difficult for them to leave their areas to um, entice them to use the digital communications tools that we have.
1: I heard you say that today, and I I found that fascinating.
0: And it's it's really worked. Um, My philosophy is if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So, by doing this, it's forcing the technicians to be more detailed in their notes and documentation. It's like there's this
1: lead wall that separates them, and they've got to write a novel so that the service and the service advisors got to really help the tech know what they found out from the customer
0: exactly and it certainly goes both ways um and that is that's been the challenge since we went digital it's not so much on the tech side because the techs are used to having to give this detailed information but now it's more on the service advisor side asking those probing questions um you know you see a brake inspection on a vehicle. The first thing the technician asks is, why am I checking the brakes? Is this just out of routine? Hey, let's take a look at them. Or does the customer actually have a symptom that we're trying to, trying to locate?
1: So are all the processes in order to have that separation really well documented?
0: We do have standard operating procedures for a service advisor, service manager, and technician positions. And the way we built our standard operating procedures was basically the day in a life of a repair order from the perspective of that employee. So from a service advisor, that's handling an RO this is from start to finish what they would expect to see. And then from the technician standpoint, this is what they, this is how they would interact with that repair order and the service manager and so forth. So each position or different position in the company has a different way that they interact with a repair order. So the whole, the whole point is to, be efficient at getting that repair order in the shop and that repair order out of the shop. If I was doing a brake
1: inspection, is there an SOP on that?
0: There is. That's built into our digital inspection for the comprehensive brake inspection. Um, Little details that service advisors are constantly having to ask technicians how many how many lugs are this are on this rotor? Uh, does it have dual calipers? does it have phenolic pistons, so on and so forth? All of these things are are stuff that in the industry service advisors constantly have to go back and ask technicians about so we build those as options in our inspection when the technician's going through and writing up you know it 's at two millimeters on the front left. It's got five lugs. It's got single piston calipers. All that information's there. The advisor never has to go back in question
1: was it that iron curtain separation that that made you get that detailed
0: it it was um some of those uh, more finer details didn't happen until we moved into the new building because again we have created that separation and we found that we had advisors that were having to walk around and so I'd sat back and watched and my, and I would question what, what what did we need to talk to the customer or to the technician about well, I needed to ask this question. And once I saw that happen once or twice on the same question, it becomes a, a standard procedure in, in the inspection. I love what you just
1: said, Christopher. I stood back and watched. How many times have you improved a system by just observing?
0: Oh, I, I couldn't even begin to count, but I, I think that's probably the best way to do it. But it's a good discipline to have. When I first bought the company, yeah, I was asked this question last night at the reception. Well, what was the first thing you did? And my, my answer was nothing. I sat back, I told myself 90 days, all I'm going to do, I'm going to pay the bills and I'm going to watch how the company operates as it is. Cause it was a successful company. It, you know, it made profit. Um, after 90 days, I had a good blueprint of what everybody was normally doing and what I thought we could do to improve those, those processes and improve production. And, um, sure, the physical plant had something to do with
1: changing processes, but you seem to be a person that wants to always be in improvement mode.
0: I, I have a philosophy, either evolution or extinction. So either you're moving forward or you're standing still. And if you're standing still, that's the same thing as moving backwards in relationship to the guy next to you. So yeah, we're, we're always refining. There's, You know, somebody asked me uh, earlier today on the panel, how much time do I spend working on my inspections every week? Because they were concerned that it's labor intensive. And I said, well, you can put as little time as you want into it or as much time. But because we're constantly evolving and refining our processes, you know, I might spend a half hour, hour every day tweaking little things here or there. We meet with our technicians or, in fact, our whole staff every Friday and we'll we'll have that Q&A. Hey, does anybody have any suggestions? Are we seeing the same thing come up over and over again? Is it something we can build into our SOP to either eliminate or cut down on time lost or speed it up? Uh, little things like uh, adding the porter position. We have a guy, that's all he does. He just goes, he grabs all the pictures on the outside of the car, grabs mileage, grabs VIN. So when that vehicle makes it to the technician, my parts guy already has the VIN, already has that oil filter, already has those brake pads or whatever the vehicle came in for. No longer are we sitting there going, okay, well, I can't order parts till the tech gets it in. Tech got its rack. He's got it all torn down saying, where's my parts? Parts guy's going, I don't have a VIN, so I don't have your parts yet. So it's, it's those little things that we see that happen all the time. We, we build those into our inspection process, our workflow process.
1: I love it. A porter and I, of course, I've heard heard of it before, you know, on the show in interviewing service professionals. But I had not heard the name given to it, Porter.
0: We'll use we'll use our Porter as a shuttle driver, a parts runner. Um, if he's not moving cars, staging cars, uh, general cleanup of the shop but doesn't do any mechanical work
1: got it so when you implemented digital vehicle inspections did you lose any people over
0: the additional workload i had some pushback from some older less technologically inclined um, employees when we first implemented it one worked itself out Um, the other one ended up coming around i think it was more of showing that person the value in doing it this way um, and making the inspection process streamlined. You know, technicians are used to having to jot down notes all the time and service advisors are used to having to decipher that chicken scratch. We've tried to make every possible scenario a quick just tap the box and it's already got the pre-selected note in there. Um, If a technician actually has to leave a note that isn't a predefined note, they can just voice to text. They can just talk to the tablet. It transcribes it. And away we go. Voice to text is works amazing to me. Most times. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I I have to say I'm ninety-nine percent when I when I text someone and it's gotta be a long message. I talk to it. I am just amazed. Now either I'm getting my diction right, you know, I'm, I'm slow and methodical. But everybody has to learn that if they want to use that
0: tool. Annunciation can be an issue. Um, environmental sounds in the shop certainly can be an issue. Somebody starts rattling on an, an air hammer um, can, can skew it. But yeah, for the most part, the technicians absolutely love it.
1: I'm talking with Anthony Froein, a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. What are the techs saying about your visit?
2: Every single time that I set up a training, I try to position the van inside the shop. You know, you're part of their house at that point. Whenever you set aside that time, you tell them that you're coming in, you're providing a lunch, and you're really bringing something of meat and value to the table. Once they get a taste of it, really... By the time you're done, they're asking, when can you come back? When can you come
1: back? Or, hey, what else you got in your bag of tricks?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So the greatest outcome of your visit to a a professional shop?
2: Is just to really make a difference in their everyday procedures to maximize, obviously, maximize the premium end of the product that's being installed. But ultimately, for me being a next shop owner as well, is to maximize their profitability in installing the part right the first time and having a happy customer. I always say happy customers like a happy wife, happy wife, happy life. Same thing goes with the customer.
1: I've heard that before. So you take a Wagner OEX pad and you put it into the hands of a technician's, what happens?
2: First off, they're floored with the cut design on the front end. They'd never seen a brake pad like this before. And then you'd start to break it down into why... It's cut the way it is and how it's application or platform specific, how the backing plates are no longer painted, they're zinc coated, and that's for tolerance levels. So that way you don't have uh, buildup on the ears and fitting into the hardware. I mean, you get into all the little nuances that they've changed around with that brake pad on top of the performance end of it. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. And then once they physically try the brake pad, either on a customer's car or their own vehicle, I've heard nothing but rave reviews about the brake pad.
1: Federal Mogul Motor Parks' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On-site, online, or on-demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit fmgarageguru.com. So there's a lot of um, shops that... Uh, have not adopted anything in digital vehicle inspections at all. I think the, the majority of the shops don't. Uh, whatever the their their reason for not jumping in, uh, maybe this is a great time to talk about it. When you first implemented, what we what was it, a standard inspection taking 40, 45 minutes?
0: That depends. You know, I came from a dealership background and I'd seen inspections implemented in dealers several times uh with very dismal results typically they were pencil whipped Um, technicians weren't compensated for doing them your Lubrak was a group of individuals that were not highly skilled or trained they didn't have the experience to to really notice these things so you had you could have three people in a shop look at it and you get three different results So going to the digital inspection, we really had to define what is good and what is bad and, and define how we, how we look at these things, when we look at these things so that everybody does it the same way.
1: Uh, How long did it take when you first implemented? and what are you doing a, a, a typical safety inspection now time?
0: We can do one in about 20 minutes and our courtesy inspection, we perform on every vehicle that comes in the door. If it's been more than two weeks since we've seen it takes about 20 minutes. And I think at last count we had, I think it was somewhere around 50 items on there, which sounds like a lot. And on a traditional paper inspection, I would say that's a lot for somebody to have to go through. Um, we group them in a logical manner. Some of those are the initial walk around. You walk to the vehicle and you, you notice right off the bat, okay, you can just click through those because you saw it on, on the initial inspection there as you're walking up. Um, we try to make it so that if you're doing some other task, like an oil change or you're doing a tire rotate, a lot of these things that you're inspecting, you would you you'll be seeing as you're doing those jobs. So there's no duplicating of labor. You're not having to go back. Oh, I I didn't look at this part while I was doing this job. No, I I naturally saw it in the process of doing this.
1: And you build that safety inspection. You build
0: that routine. So it's really yours. Correct. You can, there are a number of default ones, and we originally started with that. Um, and as, as things progressed and we started seeing patterns of, we always have this question or we always see this, we started adding our own topics, our own results. Um, the neat thing is, is we can add, um, recommendations straight from there so if a technician's doing an oil change and one of the inspection topics is a uh, cooling system he might check oh hey i see a coolant leak he can check that and he can make a recommendation if he clearly sees it's the radiator he can just click uh, R radiator but if he can't tell where it's at he can click recommend cooling system pressure test so it helps the service advisor the service advisor sees the inspection. they know exactly what the next step is, either I'm building an estimate or I'm calling for approval. The service
1: advisor's job I don't want to say gets easier, but it's almost there's a level of clarity, and they they first of all they the communication between SA and and tech has got to be stellar. I'm sure you see to that mm-hmm. And there's not needs to be that trust factor there. And so the, the service advisor clicks, texts the customer. Does the customer have to be tech savvy to appreciate what you're doing?
0: No. And we, we have a lot of customers in our database that are, that are up there in age. You know, they're in their seventies. Uh, they might not have smartphones. Uh, for those customers, we actually have, uh, customer facing screens right there at the service desk. So we can cast. The digital inspection, right there. We walk through it with them. We can click on the photos the the customer or the technician took. All the technician's notes are there. You're reading what the technician had to say. It's not it's not the doctored version. It's not what the service advisor interpreted. You're reading verbatim what the technician said about your vehicle.
1: Were you the one on the panel this morning that said that when we when we would take an overall picture or video of the car? Um, the, the, the customer would actually see their car, and as we walked in or zoomed in, they would realize, was it, was it Bill? It was Bill. It was Bill. Yeah. And, and I thought that to be incredibly intelligent.
0: It is a really neat idea. That way they can't say, oh, that may, how do I know that's on my car?
1: Because our industry has an image that, that everyone's trying to pull the wool over the next person's eye, mm-hmm. that to me was one of my biggest takeaways of trust. Oh, that is my car. Look at it. He zoomed in on my tire. That is my tread. And you know, he pulled the wheel off. That is my brake. Oh, that is my black fender. And uh I, I
0: agree with that. Um, and if we were in a different a different area, i.e. population, Bill's from a much larger population area than we are. We're we're from an area of about twenty-five thousand people. So ninety 95% of our business is repeat customers. So I only need, I had to build that trust initially. Once I've built that trust, they're not questioning whether that picture is of their car anymore. They, we've already built that trust and our retention rate is extremely high. Um, but yes, if I lived in a larger area where I had a large number of new customers constantly coming in, you bet I would adopt the same policy that that Bill has of of starting out with that large image and zooming in that way it takes that trust issue out.
1: I hear you said showroom, you built a new place. Did you build a beautiful showroom?
0: We've got a 1200 square foot uh, customer waiting area that includes the uh the the service advisor desk as well. We've got uh leather theater chairs in there and a big screen TV. Customers can kick back. So you encourage waiters? Oh, you bet. Uh, the previous owner didn't. In fact, he was adamantly against it. He didn't like to schedule oil changes. If they did an oil change, they had to drop it off. They weren't allowed to wait. We encourage waiters. We offer shuttle service any, anywhere in the Kalispell area. We are the only shop that is located in within downtown Kalispell area. In fact, it's uh, prohibited to put an auto shop in the downtown area. And Your grandfather. grandfathered in, oh. so we've got a we've got a neat niche of customers. There's a lot of downtown businesses and professional buildings around us, so we have tons of customers that are within two three blocks of us so getting them a shuttle ride and most customers even during the winter time it's only a block i'll walk no big deal but we offer those amenities and of course we try to pair up with other uh, businesses in the area you know we've got a diner right across the street we'll encourage customers to go get a bite to eat while they're waiting but uh, if they just want to hang out they've got a nice place to hang out
1: christopher your rules for getting things done your disciplines for getting things done
0: Well, I have expectations, certainly. Um, production is, is certainly a big one. Uh, comebacks, um, are certainly a big one to, to make sure you're keeping in line. But what about you? How how do you, me personally, or stuff done? Yeah. The calendar on my cell phone is my best friend. If it's not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. So I do, I create reminders for on Wednesdays, I close out any internals and warranty repair orders. On Mondays, any bills that have come in from the week before, I pay those on Mondays, so on and so forth. And So I kind of micromanage my time uh, for the first half of the day is, is nothing but reminders on my phone telling me I need to do this, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that. Your wife's your partner? No, um, but she loves to bring cookies. <laughs> the most important job. <laughs> the text and the, the employees love her. How do you re-energize?
1: What's that? Ah. <laughs> oh, a, a question that I stumped Chris. Yeah, for. what's
0: that? Oh, I was just talking to my wife as a matter of fact that just coming to this conference was probably the least amount of stress and anxiety that I've felt in, you know, we just finished building that building. Five months ago, um, and that was a six month ordeal. We did most of the construction in house, staying late, midnight, one o'clock every night. We only farmed out that, which the city required us to farm out. So, um. Just just stuff like this, being able to just do something I'm passionate about, and I'm very passionate about the automotive industry. And so to be able to talk to so many people that I look up to um and I talk to on Facebook and forums and whatnot, but I've never really been able to, to meet them in person, has just been such a neat experience and relaxing. You don't get out and do enough networking. I don't get out and do enough physical networking. All of my networking is truly on the internet, yep
1: a customer recruitment idea. And now I know you said that you've got 25,000 people. You're the only place downtown. Is there any room to grow?
0: Oh, you bet. You bet. Our service area technically would, would be the entire County. So we've got about a population of a hundred thousand and we, we pull customers from one end of the County to the other. So yeah, there's, there's definitely room to grow.
1: What are you doing? How, how how are you uh, recruiting?
0: Most of it is off social media um, and refer a friend we do, if you, if somebody drops your name, if you're an existing customer, somebody drops your name, we give out a free oil change for that. And I don't care if your vehicle takes synthetic. I don't care if it's a diesel. It doesn't matter to me. I look at it this way. You bring in a diesel and that's a $120 oil change. It costs me 120 bucks to get a new customer money well spent. So I come in and I say, Hey, Bob Smith recommended me. Bob Smith gets a free oil change. Somebody comes in two days later and says, Bob Smith recommended Bob gets a second oil change. We do that. And honestly, as far as looking at ROI, you know, you look at direct mailers, you look at radio, you look at all this. That oil change special has probably been a better ROI than anything else I've ever seen.
1: What do you think you spent last year?
0: It was under $6,000. It, it wasn't that big.
1: Not, not bad. Now, those first time customers that come in, Christopher, are you tracking them if they come in again?
0: Yes. What's that rate? Uh, our retention rate is in the high 90s. It, it varies, but it's like 92, 93%. An unexpected customer
1: perk that they get because they
0: shop with you. There's lots of things that I would love to add to the, the services uh, that we provide for customers. Again, in two and a half years, you know, it's been, it's been quite the, uh, the change for this company. It seems like a pressure cooker, especially the decision five, five months ago you moved
1: in. So the building had to be in retro for eight, nine months
0: yeah about yeah about that time we bought the building in February. you bought a business, you were in it for a year,
1: and bam, your life changed mm-hmm. well, i give you an awful lot of credit for being here, happy with your financials right now
0: I am much happier now. Uh, my goal this year is is uh, is to actually stack cash in the bank we 've had so much expenditure. When I first bought the company, the equipment was extremely old and aging, so in the first six months, we dumped every penny of profit back into the company for updated diagnostic equipment. Um, Into our our, our second year, or into the second half of the first year, we physically bought the building we were in, because originally when I bought the business, I didn't get the real estate with it. I only bought the business, I bought the assets of the business, and I bought the rights to the name. Uh, about six months later, the bank approached me and said, we would like to go ahead and lend on the buildings. So we bought it in July, February, we bought the building, the original building, the following February, we bought the second building and the bank approached you on that. Yep. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a big chunk, um, within two and a half years. It's, it's been a lot. It's, I can't say that it hasn't made me nervous, but the numbers, the numbers have penciled out. Um, Profit margins are pretty decent. We went from a company that was turning four to 5% net to uh, we're, we're pushing 17%. Do you have a business coach? I don't. Um, Again, I do uh, a lot of my quote unquote, 20 group type stuff with, uh, with the different forums that I'm involved with on Facebook. You paying for training for your technicians? I do. Uh, we do some stuff through Napa. Uh, pretty much any any place that we can we can pr- find local training, which is which is an issue in our area. We'll go as far as Spokane. Um,
1: so the learning culture inside the business, service advisors, even you. I mean, I, I, obviously you're here, but you're also being educated through the forums. Um, do, the people that work for you, do they realize that you want them to learn something new every day?
0: Oh yeah, and I've I'm really fortunate in the fact that I have a very young crew and so their minds are still very sharp, they absorb information really well. Um one of the key testaments to that, my service advisor, she's been she's been there now 2 years. Um next month will make 2 years. When we brought her on, she was a waitress, she had absolutely no automotive experience, but she had excellent customer service skills. My wife actually had, had, had met her and called me up. She goes, you need to hire this gal. And I'm, I don't know who it is. But, you know, and then I met her and I'm like, all right, let's, let's interview her. We took her out to dinner and we, we chatted with her for a few hours and we brought her by the shop, showed her some of the systems. She asked some really intelligent questions. And originally I was thinking about as a receptionist. I got home and I was chatting with my wife and she goes, what do you think? And I said, no, nah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to hire her as a receptionist. What, what do you mean? Why not? I said, cause I think she can be a service advisor. And so we approached her with the position and she was very nervous. She goes, I don't know anything about cars. And I said, perfect. You have no bad habits. You've got the customer skills. I can't train you to be a people person, but I can train you on the technical side of it. And I've worked with a lot of service advisors as when I was a technician, when I was a service advisor, so on and so forth over the years. Um, and I don't think I would trade her for, for any service advisor I've ever worked with. Take me back to
1: the day you were a tech at a dealership and you decided to become an entrepreneur.
0: When I actually decided to get my own shop, I was I was actually a service advisor at that point. I had had a back injury as a technician uh, that took me off the line. So I'd been writing service again for two and a half, three years. Um, but a customer had said something to me about how the company, all they cared about was the dollar amount. They really didn't care about the customer's. And it kind of stuck with me because that was always how I felt that the company perceived its employees, you know, the, the owner and the fixed ops manager, it was always about, you know, this KPI or that KPI and how much production it was never, you know, if you had an off day, it was, Hey, you need to get this work done. It was never, Hey, what's, what's going on? Is there, is there something, you know, you want to talk about something in your personal life, something at work that's upsetting, find the root cause as to why the production was low, not just go out there and beat the guy with a hammer. And when I heard that same sentiment from a customer, I decided, you know what? I need my own shop that is geared towards the way the people are treated, not just the customers, but the employees. And so that's, that's you know, I hear this all the time. The customer's number one, the most important thing is the customer. And I tell everybody you're wrong. That is wrong. The employee is the most important thing because I don't care how well I treat that customer. If my employee is not happy, he will not turn out a good product, which means that customer will not be happy.
1: Is love an enduring principle in your business?
0: I guess that depends on how you define love. Love,
1: the caring of people. It's a, it's you bet. A, it's a verb.
0: You bet. Yeah. Almost to a fault. That was one issue I had as a service advisor. Is I was I was really empathetic and giving. Bad news to customers was hard for me. I didn't. If I had to call somebody up and tell them they, you know, their car was going to cost more than five hundred dollars, it was like, oh gosh, I really don't want this poor lady. I I feel bad calling her, and I I certainly I see that same empathy in my service advisor, um, and so yeah, we we do have that, and I really. I'm glad that she's that way. I'm glad that she has that empathy. Um, I've worked with some advisors that uh, it was the, oh, you need this fixed in your car, you'll f- die in a fiery crash, that high pressure sails. And it, yeah, I just, yeah, no, I, I like the fact that our team is that way. If a technician has a vehicle that comes back, we're human, it happens. I don't have to go out and yell and scream at them. They know it came back. They'll look at it if it was something they did. They pretty much, uh, you know, um, self-punish. I mean, they take it to heart. They, they do. They, they're pretty upset that they had a comeback. So.
1: You were mentioning your service advisor who was a waitress. Is she your only one?
0: She is currently my only service advisor. I have a service manager in the back.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. And a service manager in the back. Um, techs believe she's selling the right stuff.
0: Well, uh, I hope so because it's the technician that drives what's being sold on the front counters. So we don't we come at it from a different perspective. The technician is the the mechanical, the maintenance, the vehicle professional. He knows or should know what needs to be done to that vehicle. The service advisor's role in our company, anyways, is to articulate that need to the customer and to educate them and build value in why those those services need to be done
1: what's your passion beyond the shop
0: i'm an avid off-roader at jeeps rock crawling technical rock crawling um love spending time with my family although i don't get to do it or i don't take enough time to do that and it is definitely something that uh I want to spend more time doing yeah, we all we all have to work on that don't we if i'm home you know on a trip like this I, i've been gone 24 hours and i can't wait to be home already
1: yeah you're i, I could tell you're, you're get me on that plane yep get me in my comfort zone <laughs> hey I, I so enjoyed uh, meeting you christopher and um and hanging out with you here for a, a little bit finding out a little bit about you and what makes you tick um we're here at the the AutoVitals Digital Shop uh, seminar uh, over the weekend here in Santa Barbara. Um, any wise words that uh, you know you live by that you'd love to share with the audience?
2: If
0: it's not documented, it didn't happen. Uh, okay. I think that's the num- the number one thing. Um, that's usually the the single biggest source of any. Any issue in our life is is communication and so we all know that we work on dozens of vehicles a week and to try to recall one single detail about one single vehicle is nearly impossible. So documentation is key from customer service standpoint all the way down to legal liability. It's great to be
1: reminded of that. Appreciate that. Christopher Peterson, Northwest Automotive. Kalispell, Montana. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Christopher Peterson, for sharing on your new building and as a new shop owner for just the last two and a half years. Now, keep in mind what Christopher says, evolution or extinction. If you're standing still, he says, then you're moving backwards. I'm sure one of your takeaways was this. If it's not documented, then it didn't happen. A profound thought as we move into the digital realm? Find the episode's talking points, the shop profile, and a bio on Christopher Peterson at remarkableresults.biz e299. Hey, and thanks for joining us and your support of the Aftermarket's Premier podcast. Now get ready for episode 300. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the Premier Automotive Aftermarket podcast. Until next time...